Hello, everyone. Thank you for clicking on today's episode of His Story Podcast. If this presentation is a blessing to you, make sure to share it with others. We will be only on Spotify, so make sure to follow us, His Story Podcast, with yours truly, Giovanni Esposito. And uh, hopefully this presentation is a blessing for you today. God bless. Today's guest is Pastor Mitch Aguinaga. He is from the Southeastern Conference, uh, where he is associate pastor there. And what are, what are your main responsibilities in that church? Um, so I'm associate pastor there, but I, you know, I'm because it's two of us. I'm essentially the guy that does like a little bit of everything. Right. So you know, from from the media ministry to the children's ministry, family ministries, youth ministries, <laughs> young adult ministry. You're a, you're a Swiss Army knife, bro. Yeah, so, something something like that. But you know, I mean, so basically, we just kind of, honestly, we we do both of the same things. Like my, my senior pastor and myself, um, we we yeah, we're, we're we're both busy enough. It's just in we just we just change around what we got to do from day to day. So awesome. And for those of you who don't know you. Uh, my brother, where are you from? Where were you born? Tell me a little bit about your yeah. your upbringing here. Where are you from? Who's Pastor Mitch? Who, who am I talking to here? Yeah, for sure. So to begin with, a lot of people don't know this, but my name is actually Mitchell. <laughs> but uh, everybody just knows me as uh, as Pastor Mitch um, or, or Mitch for that matter. And I think it's easier. It's easier for me also when somebody just calls me uh, Mitch. But um, born and raised in California. Um, I, I don't know how proud I am of that, but that's just the way it goes. <laughs> I, I'm born and raised in California, in uh, Southern California, Los Angeles. Uh, my parents are from Nicaragua, pure millennial, although I don't share all the millennial values, but you know, you know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm classified as one. Um, currently, I am a fa father of two kids, Micah and Chloe, and uh, husband of one wife, of course. Uh, and that's uh, my my wife's name is Angie. And uh, yeah, I mean, I streets of L.A., brother, like, what, what are we going to do? I lived in Gardena for most of my life and then South Central <laughs> afterwards. And, you know, and then after that, just just kind of been ever since college, just kind of been different places. And now Victorville, California, because that's that's where I currently live right now, Victorville, awesome. which, is, which is desert, all desert. So that's right. Hey, uh, so. You know, one of the things I don't think I've ever told you or maybe I have in some sort of manner or not, but I just, every time I kind of look at the past and the first time I met you was, was really interesting and mind blowing <laughs> because, you know, if, if you also remember, uh, George, our good friend, George as well, Absolutely. um, I remember, you know, in the time of the situation that my family and I were going and, uh, we were in tr transition and we had just come out of a church and you know, we were burned by church and, you know, my, at least my, how would I say, and I don't want to make this about me, but at least my, my sort of bubble had burst as a kid, as an 11, 12 year old, um, with church and the circumstances that happened there. And then all of a sudden, maybe like a year later after, you know, we're just kind of searching and we're going to various churches and we run into, we run into this small church in Huntington Park. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the time, you know, I remember seeing you, I remember seeing George and I have ne I had never seen young people like the two of you. 
And that to me was absolutely <laughs> mind blowing because, you know, these guys are out here and they're preaching and they're sounding like 30 year olds, you know, and, and I talked to them and like, these are just young kids. They're just like me. Yeah. And, and that was really to me an eye opening, you know, experience. It was almost a, a culture shock within the culture almost because sure. young people at my age were into video games. We were into sports. Um, you know, you're a preteen, so you, your talk is always about girls as well. And, right, you know, right, right. and so, but watching you and George and, and watching you guys preach, I, I mean, that was, that was mind blowing. I was like, what, who are these guys? Yeah. Like, where are they from? What planet did they come from? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, you know, with, with that, with that in mind is, is, you know, that really spoke to me a lot. That was a positive influence in my life. Sure. watching the both of you and you guys have meant a lot to me as far as my upbringing as far as you know i i obviously even later on i didn't get always right but but just watching that i am my question to you and i don't i don't think i've ever asked you this like why why were you like that in other words what yeah, what, yeah. what propelled you what was it your upbringing was it your family sure. um what tell me a little bit about yourself in that instance you know because you start at a young age and sure. You know, when I hear you now, I still hear that 12 year old Mitch, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it's still yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. the maturity, the, the Bible knowledge, everything that comes with just what Mitch is. But tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, so to be fair, George is like four years older than us, so he was already old. Um, I'm, well, yeah, I mean, he, the guy was still 16. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He's well, still but, a kid. But, but it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah. And I, and I started preaching when I was 12. Um, and it was, and it was funny cause it was just, it was like, it was preaching. Like it wasn't like my, my parents would write out a script for me so I could repeat it. Like it was literally me trying to come up with stuff that, that I felt the Lord had impressed on me and, and trying to share with the church. But yeah, look, I, I've thought about that question as well. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure how it all happened, but I can tell you that as a small kid, um, I remember, uh, I was four years old actually when, a culprator knocked at the door. My mom was washing dishes at the time. I was playing in the living room. I heard the knock. My mom comes in, opens the door, uh, and we had a we had like one of those uh, wooden doors. And then you know, in LA, you have like the like your actual door, and then you have like that gated metal yeah door. And so <laughs> she opened the the actual door, left the gated door. You don't open the door. You don't open both doors just like that. Right. And so yeah, it was this really young guy. I mean, he was like, I think like about 17, 18 years old who had come. Uh, to uh, sell some books, uh, Christian books, Adventist books. And in the process, uh, they started getting Bible studies. Like they, you know, they opened the door to that. My mom was interested. Mom got Bible studies. Then my uncle joined. Then my aunt joined. Then my dad joined. Then my other aunt joined. And then the whole family now was in this. And I remember, and these are like some of the best memories I have, but I remember that we would receive Bible studies uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We'd go to church on Sabbath, obviously. But we'd go Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and I would sit at the feet of Pastor Moises Villegas's Bible studies. Like literally, he was giving his Bible study. He would actually type out all his uh, his Bible studies in these little note cards, and so I would sit right underneath <laughs> his feet. I would look up at him as he was flipping through the note cards, and I I think that had a lasting impression on me. Um. <clears throat> I, I have to trace it back then because I would look up to him, both mm -hmm. in, a, in a in a figurative way, um, but but also in a very uh, literal way. 
And so, you know, church just always took something very important for me. And there was an opportunity once we were at Huntington Park, um, an opportunity to, to preach. And uh, someone said, if anybody wants to preach, this was open to the church. They were going to preach on Wednesdays. And I remember, you know, just kind of elbowing my mom a little bit. And I said, hey, is this, is this something that, that I could do? And she's like, well, if you do it, you got to take it seriously. Yeah. And 12 years old. I uh, remember giving my first message on Wednesday. It was absolutely horrible. It was the worst thing I have ever done in my life. Uh, I, I thought I had something good and it turned out really bad. Um, but uh, since then, uh, preaching has just been, it's just been, you know, it's just been something that I feel like I have been called to do. Ministry, whole different story, right? right. But at least the preaching, the sharing, yeah, that was, that was it. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, we've always been pretty dedicated to uh, to, to church. And honestly, I remember telling this to a friend of mine when I was in high school, I said, Hey, why do you go to church so much? And I said, you know what, honestly, because it gives me sense and purpose in my life. Mm. And, and that's the way it is even to the day. Um, and so, uh, you know, the short answer to your question, that was a long answer. No, 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 don't short worry about it. <laughs> question, a short answer to your question. Uh, I just think that, uh, even at that young age at 12, 13 years old, something about God something about scripture, something about Jesus, just, just click, just made sense. And that's, you know, you say that, I think that's very profound that at a young age, you not only find your passion, you find a, a purpose. I, I don't know how many high schoolers can say that. And, you know, for me, working at a high school, uh, you rarely see that. I mean, out of 50 kids, you might get one or two that actually have this plan and know where they're going, what's going on. And yeah. but that's rare to see, especially with someone that's so spiritually inclined. So such as yourself, you know, um, now let's let's fast forward a little bit. Sure. You know, you go through your experience, you grow up, uh, you graduate high school. And I remember you were going off to college. Yeah. And and I remember, you know, you were saying you were on to study if I you were studying uh, politics. Yeah, yeah. But, or but or you, something along that. Yeah, that yeah no. I, I, I wanted that to be an attorney. That's right. I wanted to be an attorney. But the problem was, initially, I thought I was being called to be a pastor, which I was. Ah. But there were some things that discouraged me along the way. Now, for those who don't know, I, literally, we go back to when we were 12, 13 years old. Like, that's that's how yeah. far we know each other. So, you know, not, not to date ourselves, but we'll just say <laughs> we've known each other for, for 20 plus years. We'll just put right. it that way. Um, but, but, uh, so, you know, we kind of, we kind of experienced all those things together The and, and we weren't perfect like at all, no. right. Far from it. I mean, we're, we're, we're in ministry now, but we, we all made mistakes along the way as, as anybody else would. But I, I thought I was being called to go into ministry. I had applied to Andrews university. I had gotten accepted and then some weird stuff happened at church where they were trying to close down our church building. Mm. send our congregation somewhere else. There were some things that were going on that honestly, maybe we could talk about this later, but stuff that shouldn't have been happening at the church messages that probably shouldn't have been given at the church. There right. was a certain spirit at the church conference gets involved. And when I started seeing that they did not put a priority or what I thought, what I perceived was they don't care about our congregation. This is not a priority for them. And they were sending us somewhere else. I said, if this is what being a pastor is like, forget it. I'm out. And mm. so the other thing that I kind of enjoyed and I liked uh, was politics. And so I said, I'm going to be an attorney. So I went to UC Santa Cruz, applied to UC Santa Cruz, got into UC Santa Cruz. Um, and um, yeah, I was, I was 
planning to be an attorney. So I, I, I got a degree. I got my bachelor's in politics and Latin American studies. Well, the thing is that what I'm seeing here, you know, you've, you, you are not like a Paul, you know, you're not like a Pharisee or I mean, at least you have your, your training and your education. You, you went to public school just as I did. I remember yeah. going to, to academy when I was in elementary, but that's as far as I went. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, for various reasons and, you know, Adventist education is not cheap, but, sure. uh, um, you know, we, you know, you were pretty much raised or, or at least your education wise uh, in a very secular right. environment, you know, from public school all the way to UC Santa Cruz, which is a very secular school. Right, right. Talk to me about your experience there a little bit and, and how, how, how were you able to kind of stay the course? You know, I'm, yeah. again, we're not claiming any, any perfection here, but, but no, how, right. how were you able to kind of just stay the course and stand your ground in the midst of all that secularism that's around you? Sure. Yeah, no, because it was public school all the way up until I graduated from, from UC Santa Cruz. Um, uh, you know, look, I, I think I have to credit this to family. Um, and I think family was incredibly important. And when I mean family, obviously, I mean my parents, my brother, also my aunts, because they were very close. But also church family as well. So what ended up happening, I think, was a combination of two things. Obviously, you had everything in the public schools. And I went to Gardena High School. And Gardena High School, very similar to your high school. Look, I mean, not the greatest high schools out there. There's some crazy things going on. Not I, at all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, went to, you went to HP, if I'm not. I, mean, you went I went to Huntington Park, Park High School, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, our high schools are very similar in that quality of lifestyle at these high schools was not, you know, it, it wasn't up there. But... um uh I think that, first of all, family was always talking about church. Second, the family incorporated me or included me in the conversations regarding Jesus, regarding the scriptures, regarding truth, regarding doctrine. So we would come back from church, for example, we would eat together, and we would just continue talking about the sermon. And it wasn't like, hey, this is an adult conversation. No, this was yeah, you can be involved. Just make sure you're respectful. So my mom would always have me begin by saying, excuse me, may I speak, right? And, and if I wanted to say something. But eventually, you know, I was like 14 years old and I was having like full-blown debates with like elders of the church, you know? And I remember all, that. Yeah. My, my ideas were probably <laughs> like, like wrong and, 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 and dumb in, 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 a, in a teenage sense. Yeah. But they, but they gave me that space. So in other words, like they... they you know, they, they involved me into the life of the church. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and aside from having uh, morning devotionals, my dad, even if we were running late to school, like on our way to school, literally we would have our devotional in the car. So that would never, it would always have that. Uh, we'd always pray at night together. Um, so those things were very important. And I think that kind of created a balance because school was school, right? And all the stuff that was going on at school, uh, and look, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, I don't think I've mentioned this to anybody, but some of my friends, like they would smoke weed every single day hmm. and they were friends of mine for whatever reason. Like, I don't even know how it happened, but we would hang out with each other. We'd even play basketball together. And like, they, I mean, they were living rough lifestyles, yeah. but they always say, oh, but Mitch, you know, you know, Mitch, Mitch is a good guy, right? Mitch is, Mitch is, you know, we, we got to watch out for Mitch because, you know, he's much better than we are. And it wasn't that. It's just that I think I was trying to live out my faith as best as I could, and they could see it. Um, and, and so I, I think that family 
church family and being involved in the church. Because as you know, yeah. you know, I was teaching Sabbath school at 14 yeah. years old. I was one of the youth directors at 15 years old. Uh, so, you know, it was just, just constant involvement in yeah. the church. And I think that was a blessing. I think you said something really key here is, and I don't know if whoever hears this, right? We really don't know who's hearing this, but it's, I, I think the importance of empowering young people and giving them that space, even if they're wrong, even if they put their foot in their mouth, even if they don't do it the way you think they do it. It's, I think for you and I, cause I mean, you know, we were, we were pretty much together all the way up until what, 16, 17 years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we had that space to be involved and, and rather, I don't know, probably looking back, some of the adults might laugh at us. I don't know. I don't know what we did, you know, cause we were involved in, we did everything and anything that we were allowed to do in church. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think those are one of the things that kind of just help in the, sure. in the whole process of our, of our walk and our faith. You, you know, you know, you know, Joe, what's crazy about Huntington Park, the more I think about it, Huntington Park was a very conservative church. Extremely would, conservative. Yes. I, yeah, I was going to say ultra conservative, right? I mean, yeah. like some of the stuff that we would deal with, and I was mentioning this in a sermon recently, uh, sometimes it was really tough because like you couldn't even, you couldn't even like drink while you were eating. Like it was that conservative, right? Yeah. Like, like, like that was just seen as bad. Um, and yet they were kind of, how do I put it? Like they, they, uh, they allowed for us young people to be involved so much. So on the one hand, they were ultra conservative, but on the other hand, they had like this weird modern idea that you're hearing about it now, right? Empowering yeah. young people. Mm -hmm. They were doing that. Well, at least with us, they were doing that. Right. And, and so, and I think that was helpful. Uh, by the way, you know, this was again, 20 plus years ago. Um, uh, recently, everybody's been talking about that book, Growing Young, you know, that green book that- Yes. Was, yeah. Yes. That was uh, published by uh, uh, Fuller Seminary. And one of the things that the book teaches, right, is that if you want to grow young, you basically have to do keychain leadership. And keychain leadership is where you give these keys to these young people, uh, proverbially speaking, right? Yeah. So you're saying, hey, look, you take care of this. You do this at church. I'm going to give you these responsibilities. Right. And we were doing that 20 plus years ago. Yep. Yeah. We were doing that 20 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I think that uh, you, myself, George, it would have been great to have him here, right? Shout out uh, to George. Yeah, for sure. For sure. George Montoya. <laughs> um, Jorjito. Jorjito. Um, I think that because the church did that, we're still yeah. here. We're still awesome. Here. Yep. So let's fast forward again, right? So, right, you 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 go through this experience and, you know, we, we kind of have this life in church, and but we're kind of trying to find our way, you know, you're trying to find your way here in, in, in life. Uh, you meet a young lady by the name of Angie Ramirez. Yeah, uh, that was college, you know, yeah. Uh, um, you you guys fall in love. You guys get married. You guys have a beautiful family. Yeah. But in the midst of all of that experience, and you're you know growing up, we're both kind of growing up here at the same sure, time. Sure, 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 sure. And you said you had a call to to ministry before. Yeah, yeah. So how does that come up again for you? Okay, so you know Jonah. I identify with Jonah all the way, man. For yeah, Jonah, oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because to me, it was just that experience where the Lord just took me, fine. He's like, you want to go that, that, that direction? All right, see what happens. And so, yeah, I, I graduated from UC Santa Cruz. Uh, by then, I was dating, uh, who is now my wife, Angie. Um, I knew I wanted to come back to LA, but Southern California mainly just to be close to her. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I also knew she was the one I wanted to marry. 
Um, and so as soon as I graduated, this was um, uh, 2006, December of 2006 is when I graduated. Beginning of December of, of the year 2007, I'm starting to look for a job. And I found a job a few months after looking and I found a job at an insurance company. Mm. And I worked there for 12 years. And, uh, you know, look, the Lord blessed me a lot. Uh, it allowed me to establish a family, allowed me to, you know, get married, have kids, stuff like that. But, bro, like around year eight or nine, I was miserable. Mm. Absolutely miserable. I, I was like, this is not what I want to do. And I was good at my job. I wasn't bad at my job. I was good at it. But I said, I, I just, I don't want to do this. And my wife, I remember we had a conversation one day and she's like, well, what would you want to do? I'm like, well, I feel alive when I'm at church. I feel alive. I feel like things make sense when I'm, when I'm there in, in leadership and when I'm there preaching, when I'm there sharing, when, I, when I'm teaching the Bible. And I said, I, I'd like to get into ministry, but I don't know if I can anymore. Like, it's too late now. Hmm. Like I should have gone, gone to school. So I started praying. Um, started praying a lot. And uh, Pastor Silva, Andy Silva, who, who has now passed away, um, I, I came to his church and I had moved to the High Desert Bilingual Church. And, you know, he saw me. He's like, yeah, you know, I'll get you working here. And, you know, he started uh, letting me preach and just be one of the youth leaders. And then he told me, you're a waste of talent. <laughs> By the way, I have to, I have to, I have to admit this uh, because I had, there have been two very significant pastors in my life that have really, really pushed that. Uh, pastor Luis Rendon, who was my pastor in my college years, okay? He was huge in saying, Mitch, you should go into ministry. Always tell me that. And every single time I'd see him after, talk to him after, always saying that, you should, you should. Pastor Andy Silva goes even crazier, and he says, you're just a waste of talent. You are pretty much wasting your life. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Thank you for... for yeah, for thanks. Yeah. And so I said, well, look, yeah, I want to get into ministry, but how do I do it now? Like I got kids, I, you know, I can't just leave. And so he says, let me figure that out. And it just so happens that he was sitting. I mean, this is how God works, right? He was sitting at a table in a Hawaii retreat with the vice president, Hispanic ministries of our conference hmm. and the director of the Hispanic ministry Institute of Andrews university and, you know, they're talking, they know each other for a number of years. And then in one of those, he says, hey, by the way, I got a young man who I think would be great for ministry. How do we get him in? You know, and I'm not really young anymore. You know, I mean, I already got married off, what, uh, <laughs> eight years of marriage and I already got a kid and stuff like that. And so uh, they're like, what, do you vouch for him? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so they said, um, yeah, well, look, just have him send an application here and have him, you know, talk to me, et cetera. And then uh, he comes back and he says, look, do this. And you will be able to start studying. And so I start, I'm, I'm getting excited about this. I'm, I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, if this is, this is going to open the door, so be it. I'll do whatever we have to do. I kid you not. I applied to Andrews University again, because I had already been accepted. This time I'm getting into the master's, into the seminary, right? Right. And when I get the letter saying you have been accepted, you know, for master's in pastoral ministry, uh, I got that letter. I literally fell to my knees and I just started crying just, just before the Lord. Right. I'm just, I'm, I'm tearing up, man. I'm going, luckily nobody was watching me, but I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just destroyed emotionally at that moment. And I'm like, yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> and so from then on, um, uh, it was basically four hard years, hmm. very, very difficult years trying to balance my work at the insurance company and my family 
and school. Um, and and ministry. And, and, and ministry, right, because I was doing this part-time. Because you're starting now. off, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right, because now I, I, got, I got hired part-time to work. So I'm working two jobs. By the way, I'm also working in two churches at the same time, right, High Desert and Barstow. Uh, and it was absolutely insane. I'll tell you how crazy it got. My daughter, Chloe, was born, and I was at school at the time. I was not there for her birth, and it was a hard decision that we had to make. And I said, wow. if I don't do this, I'm not going to be done for another year and a half. My wife said, go. And so we sacrificed a lot. My wife, my kids, I mean, sacrificed so much for me to get this done. And as soon, bro, as soon as I finished my last class, I got a call saying, hey, we got a full-time job for you. And this was just like, it was all providence, right? It was all God wow. working. Awesome. And, and, and here I am, man, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this. Uh, by the way, there's a saying that says, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day yeah. of your life. Yeah, this this is me. I'm I'm doing what I love. I'm not. I don't even feel like it's work. It's right? it, it's a hobby. That's what I do, man. I just tell. I, I have a I have a kid right now who's with me. He's yeah, going yeah, into ministry. Yeah. And I just tell him, bro, this is my hobby, man. This this is what I love to do, man. So this blessed. Is... So blessed. <laughs> so extremely blessed. blessed. Extremely. Oh yeah, blessed. and 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 definitely what I see is a calling, <clears throat> right? I mean, the Lord just mm -hmm. took me through all that insurance craziness. So wow. that I could realize, you know what? No, you're not going to be happy doing this. You're going to be happy doing what I want you to do. Mm. And uh, here I am. So so talk to me now in ministry. Because, I mean, yeah, yeah. getting into ministry, it's it's quite a journey and it's quite a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, your story, my story are kind of very similar. I, I think they were almost parallel. Sure. I sure. think, you know, we kind of went into ministry. We, we kind of, at the same sure. time, I called you. I didn't know you were going into ministry I, I remember we had a phone call. I don't know if you yeah, remember yeah, that phone call. Remember that. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I was just like, man, I need to talk to somebody about this. And, you know, obviously I talked to my wife, but I'm just like, you know, I need to talk to somebody who, sure. who might understand my feeling. Sure, sure. And I called you and lo and behold, you, you know, you were just down your way. I was considering going off and sure. it's amazing. It's amazing how, how, how the stories here line up. Sure, sure, sure. But now talk to me about some of those roadblocks in ministry, because, you know, it's one thing. You know, yeah, you're going into ministry head on and full on, but there are some challenges there. And and talk to me about some of your roadblocks now in ministry. Yeah. You know, without exposing <laughs> too much sure, dirty no, laundry here. No, no, I got you. Yeah. But what you know, what are some of the things that you have now come across being in ministry? Yeah. That you probably would have not likewise ran into, you oh. know, other than being in ministry. Outside of it, yeah. Look, I, I, first of all, I would probably divide them into, um, into two groups. Those roadblocks. I would, I would divide them into the ones that are personal, right? The, the roadblocks that, uh, that, that sometimes just fall on you personally, individually, and then the ones that are completely out of your control, but you have to be part of them. Mm. Um, and in fact, I'll, I'll mention just a little bit about the second first about the about the roadblocks that are outside of your control. One of the things that I've realized. Um, is how unprepared we go into ministry. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you can get all the schooling that you want, and yet that still doesn't prepare you. You know, it's crazy. Look, I'm, I'm again, not, not getting into too much detour or, or trying to uh, do anything crazy, but I have somebody that, uh, a, a young kid as well, who's currently excellent student, by the way. I, I mean, he, I think he's going to be a great minister at some point. Uh, but, you know, when I was at the church, he was one of my young people. And he's like, hey, I, want, I think I want to get into this. And so we started encouraging him to do so. 
And I, I had a conversation with him and I, recently, and I said, you know, one of the things that I wish somebody would have told me is how much a pastor makes. Now, it's not because of the money, uh, because I already knew that pastors didn't make a whole lot, especially in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Mm-hmm. My problem was that I would ask pastors and nobody would want to tell you. And, and so it's like you go into these things almost blind. Like you know you're being called. Yeah. But, but the administrative side, the, you know, all, all the things in ministry that, that you have to go through, it's kind of like the, the stuff, the, the legal stuff and all those things. Like yeah. this stuff, no one tells you about until you're involved in it. And so I, you know, I learned the hard way what the pay was because nobody would want to tell me, even my mentors wouldn't say like, oh yeah, you know, we make enough. No, that's not the answer I'm looking for. I need to prep for my family. I need to prep for, you know, all that. Yes. Yeah. Change that I'm doing is a big one. Um, the other thing also, and I I think that would be a little different in the sense that, you know, if you're, if you were single, if you weren't married and you're just going into this, it probably won't mean much, but you know, in in your case, my case, we went into this with family and kids, Right, right. you know, we had jobs and, and, and things of that sort. And, and you kind of need to have all your, all your ducks lined up. You, you know, because at the end of the day, you have to plan, you know, you have yeah. to feed your kids, you have to yeah. pay rent, you have to pay bills. And yeah. so it, it, it's, it's a bigger, it's not about the money. It's not about making money. No, I don't, you know, obviously there are people that do it sure. for whatever sure. reasons, but, but, sure. you know, I, I can attest for you and myself, it, this is not about the money. Sure. Uh, if it was, you know, I think we'd be doing something else, <laughs> but, be doing, doing be something but else you know, or, with or, the family, yeah. it just... It, it, it yeah. emphas- it's a little bit more emphasized because, you know, you want to be able to, hey, I, I need to have this set up so then I can have some right. peace and actually do my job. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah and, and look, and, and, and people don't know this. I, I, again, I haven't shared this, but this would be a perfect opportunity. When I was working for the insurance company, I was making decent money, but I also had a company car too. I didn't even have to pay for a car, mm. you know, and I, I, that was a car I could take home and I could drive on weekends as long as I reported my mileage, I was good. When I go into ministry, I know I'm losing all these things, right? All these, all these benefits, right? And so uh, what I wish is that, that it, it wouldn't be something, uh, not, not so much private, but this idea of like, no, what mine, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. You get that a lot of times between pastors. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Like, mm-hmm. like it's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing my thing. You go and do your thing. I'm not going to share too much about what I'm doing. It's as if we're competing in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Forget that. We're not competing. We're, we're all doing the same thing. And, and I think that generally leads to a tribalism of sorts among churches because mm. churches sometimes very difficult. Camp meeting, perhaps, we come all together, right? right? But that's because everyone has to be involved. But outside a camp meeting, it's hard to get two churches to combine and do stuff together. Even right? within the same district. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, and it's yeah. like, no, no, that's yours and mine. And I think it, it starts with the head, right? I think it starts with us as pastors. Well, we got to start saying, saying, you know what? It's not about uh, I'm going to keep my stuff private or not. When it comes to ministry, we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, I was going to say though, as well, uh, the politics within the church and church administration. Mm-hmm. That's that's that that's that's different. That's uh, something that shocks a lot of times. Um, I don't think I was ready for that. Yeah. And then I saw it. Right. I I think it's it's, it's something that you always know it's there. Yeah, but you really do not understand it, as yeah. far as you know, until you're actually in it. Yeah, and yeah, that's a that's a we we I, we've all experienced it in some sort of we've all had a rude awakening with it. Sure. Um, 
but you know, I don't know. I I've often asked myself about ministry is like, how does that change? And, you know, I don't know if it, it starts maybe in seminary. I don't know if it starts, you know, in, I in, know. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. And I'm, and I'm of the same idea you are. I mean, I, I, I gain nothing by just keeping it to myself and yeah. sharing with my colleagues and what are you doing and how do you do this? I share all the time and I tell them, look, yeah. so sometimes they come up to me and approach me and they're scared, you know, like, oh, I, I don't mean to barge into your territory. I'm like, bro, ask, right. you know, right. I, and the thing is, what I do is I ask other people, you know, I, I right. call you, I call right. other right. pastors that I know and things of that sort. And I ask, hey, how do you guys, what are you guys doing? How are you guys get the, getting this yeah. done? I see yeah. you guys online. Yeah. I see that you guys have this. What are you using? What are you? I have no problem asking people how to get things done, you know, and, and I don't know, but I don't know if it's maybe if it's a seven day Adventist thing, maybe it's yeah, a ministry yeah. thing. Maybe yeah. it's a seminary thing where, you know, I don't know, but that, think, that, that's look, always I, just seemed weird to me. I want to say that it exists everywhere. I also want to say that the moment that we, we put ourselves first and we don't put Christ first, we run into problems. Right. And, and look, and no. I'm just thinking of how we do this, right. For example, streaming. Uh, we stream, and the one thing we're looking at is how many people are watching. Yeah. And immediately we start comparing ourselves to someone else, and we say, oh, man, you know, that, that, that pastor over there has 100 people watching him live. Why do I only have 20? And, or, or we do this with baptisms back in the day, right? Baptism, yeah. look, that pastor over there is baptizing 100 people every single year, you know, and, but I'm over here baptizing five. And so uh, I think first of all, competition has to get out of here because we're not competing against each other. We're all fighting to, to bring people to Christ, right? We all have the same battle. But the second thing is that I think at some point you have to say, forget what everybody else is doing. I'm not comparing my, myself to yeah. them, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I have been called, uh, this is a great thing that our ministerial uh, uh, director, uh, Pastor John Ciccarelli always says, he says, look, don't compare yourself to another pastor. On the contrary, remember, that you have been called for your specific purpose with your specific talents, right? To do right. what you to do what you need to do for the Lord. So, um, but I, I would also say this, uh, Gio. I would also say that um, as long as there are there's a need for leaders, there will always be an issue with politics and competition, things like that. Look, if someone looks at what we're talking about and says, "Oh, see, that's why I don't want to deal with church," well, yeah. Jesus had twelve disciples. And mm -hmm. among the 12 disciples, they were fighting over <laughs> who was going to be first, who right. was the favorite of Jesus, who was going to sit on the right-hand side of Jesus. Uh, Sons of Thunder, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the huge issues among the disciples. Jesus was right about to die. He's eating communion with them. He has just washed their feet, and they're like, okay, now Jesus has done all that. He has shown us what service is. By the way, let's go back to the conversation we were having. You are the worst. I am better I should be the favorite in the kingdom of God. Hmm. You know, and Jesus yeah. has to say, look, this, this shouldn't be with you. And so I think it's just human tendency. That's all I think yeah. it is. It's human yeah. tendencies. And it's something that the Lord will work with us until he comes for a second time. It's just stuff that he has to purge out of us. But we're, we're going to deal with. We're going to be tempted. Yeah. Now, what about the word everybody is just sick and tired of hearing? Yeah. Uh, the word pandemic. Yeah, pandemic. <laughs> And, and how's it been for you out there in, in California? I know, you know, New York and California are kind of on the same train as far as politically speaking and sure, restrictions. Sure, and sure. it looks like those two states are the ones that lead out in the rest of the country. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, um, so, you know, how, how was it out there for you in California and the pandemic? And what did that look like for you? Pandemic has been rough. 
Um, it's it's been it's been a tough what year and a half or so. I mean, we're we're now kind of back to normal. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to put the date of the podcast, but you know, today's what July thirteenth. Uh, yeah. Um, 2021. But you know, for the past year and a half, or at least for the past year and four months or so, uh, yeah, it's been rough. A lot of changes. I, look, um, people are pandemic fatigued. They're COVID fatigued. Yeah. I know that. It's weird though, because as soon as the pandemic like became the big deal for us in the United States, yeah, and now we had to start closing down, and California was one of the first states to say, right, it, it's time to shut down the economy. Um, then it was, what do we do with churches? And I remember the day because it was right about my anniversary. Uh, so it was mid-March when we had our last service at church and we didn't have another one inside the church building for about a year or so. And uh, that day, that day, when we said, hey, nope, we're suspending church services. We're just going to go to online streaming. Mm-hmm. That day became a very controversial day. And it became controversial because people were saying, well, where is the faith? Tell me about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it became, and I remember people posting and, you know, we had our announcements and the people were posting online. Uh, our other district church, Rialto Church, they did something and somebody said, you know, you guys are faithless. You guys have no faith in Jesus. You shouldn't be scared and stuff like that. And so I'm on my way home that day. This is, this is crazy. I'm on my way home and I'm listening to a message of another church. I'm not going to say what church it was, but they had a guest speaker, a female guest speaker. Uh, I'm not going to say what her name was either. And she was there to speak about like health or something like that. But in the process, she starts saying, I'm glad you are all here. She says, because for us who came to church, many other churches are closing and suspending their services, but us coming to church, this is for the brave. This is for the spiritually strong. And Hmm. I'm going to tell you, honestly, I got that righteous anger in me. I got upset. So I came home, prayed about this. Okay. Calmed down a little bit, turned on my, my camera. I had a little weak camera not not what i'm using now but you know back then i didn't have anything (laughs) turned that on you know started speaking to the camera and i said you know what let's just clear this up this whole pandemic thing people talking about fear i'm like you guys got the gospel wrong and so i did this video and it was funny because you know my videos don't it's not like they reach a bunch of people but this video though this video it was like a five six minute video all of a sudden like i mean within hours it already had a thousand views and people were starting to share it and then it just started blowing up even more. And so it got thousands of views. And, and it was because all I was trying to say was, look, let's stop doing that. Let's stop saying that this is a matter of faith. This is actually a matter of watching for our brothers and sisters. Yep. By, by closing a church, it does not close the gospel. What, mm-hmm. kind of, what kind of weird thinking is that? That a building is what determines where the gospel goes. It's not. It's where we go. Right. right? So... From that point on, it was like, let's do this. But the ideas never went away. And so the pandemic, sure, we got into streaming. You know, that taught us a lot. I'm looking at you now. I'm looking at your backgrounds. And you look great, brother. All right, you look great. (laughs) But it's the same thing, right? We started upgrading the cameras. We started seeing we need equipment. We started yeah. testing this, trying out that, all these lighting, things. this and that, and yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And 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 you know what? Because of the pandemic, and I'm grateful about this, I learned how to work Adobe Premiere which is video mm-hmm. editing software. I, I work out of Photoshop every single day. You know, I, I work out of Lightroom. I work out of Adobe Illustrator. Like, I, I like all these things I would have never done if it wasn't for the pandemic. And now I feel like I can actually carry a digital and media ministry, right? Right. But even while we're doing all that, and this is great because people can get, you know, the gospel in different ways. On a given Sabbath, on a given weekend, 
every church has a stream at the exact same time. Yes. But then there's still a group of our church members who are just not happy. Yeah. And I'm going to point to something. The pandemic wasn't the most difficult part when it came to ministry. It was the church members that were just constant criticism of everything that we would do. I just, yeah, I, it, it was, it was a major shift and just the responses of people and, you know, how much division, how politicized this was. Um, I had never seen that before. I, I can't remember ever, even in the midst of even us growing up where, you know, we were in the ultra conservative side of, of Adventism where you and I were, were kind of brought up um of of ever seeing this in the church of how much just divide there was right and it wasn't about theology it wasn't it's it's it was all of this behind the scenes that was going on in the news and you had these people that you can't tell us what to do you can't do this right. you can't right. do that and you were bringing that up you know oh we're scared and we're acquiescing to what government is saying already and if we're doing this now what is, what's going to happen when they put the sunday law etc and and i had never seen that i honestly when i started seeing that and i don't know about you bro like i it started taking me back to those roots you know when i don't know if you were, do you remember when uh, y2k kicked off oh yeah for sure for sure yeah bro i i had i, <laughs> I had i had a yeah. i had a talk with the young adults yeah. during camp meeting this past you know i was i was leaning yeah. out in that and we talked about we just asked a question as to why church and i took them a little bit back as far as my experience and Y2K, and I actually got the question, what is Y2K, bro? Yeah. I felt I felt so old where I had to yes. explain yes. what yeah. Y2K was. Yeah. And it was crazy, bro. Like I had never seen this feeling of, of people just specifically in Adventism. Sure. Um, where where you, you had these two spectrums of people saying, you know, you're you're mean if you're not wearing a mask, and then the other one is if you're a you're a softy if you're putting on the mask. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right, but, but I, I don't but, know. I mean, yeah, but let's but let's say, look, let's put it out there. Twenty twenty was perhaps the craziest year, craziest year. I would say since the sixties. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, now I wasn't alive in the sixties, so I'm only I'm only <laughs> grabbing that from history. We're not that old. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but we, we are old. Uh, yeah, you know what? Speaking of that, I remember in a sermon, I, I was talking to the young people in a sermon. We were having youth church, and I mentioned a Walkman. And they said, what's a Walkman? And they were looking at me like, what? And I said, yeah, it was like a cassette player that turned into a CD player. And they were like, what? And I'm like, okay, this was like an iPod that you would actually put something in so you could play stuff. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 we can picture that. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm getting so old. <laughs> so bad, so bad. But, but look, um, for me, 2020 was by far the craziest year I've ever seen, even crazier than September 11th. Yeah. Even crazier than the Y2K. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It was, a, it was like a perfect storm but even because, even the 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 9 11 event in 2021 i just remember it wasn't much of a disunity it was a unit like everybody just came together together churches together. were packed right. there was sort of patriotism going around right. so everybody just right. kind of lifted their chest you know right. adventism of course had this little thing oh you know it's on its way and it, so everybody sort of kind of banded together sure sure but this yeah. one it, it was just like somebody just Same. took a a knife right in the middle of the church and yeah. just cut the church in half. But you know, I have, a th I have a theory behind this though. And I believe that it is because we allowed the culture of the United States of America to mm -hmm. influence what we believe. And let me, let me put it to you this way. The pandemic hits 
fine, we now have to deal with the issue of government. And we already know that Seventh-day Adventists have a rocky relationship with the government anyways. This is why we're so involved with religious liberty, right? Because right. we believe that prophetically at some point there will be some type of world control through the governments, right? That will try to legislate spirituality. And, and, and that's a big no-no, right? And for, and for those, again, we don't know who's listening, but for those who, who may know as a refresher or for those who don't know, I and mean, you've never heard this, one of the major things that belongs to the Adventist church is our idea that freedom is incredibly important. God loves you in freedom, right? Mm. God says, I love you, and therefore I give you free will. And no. that free will has to be respected because God respects it. And so when government tries to legislate the things that you're supposed to be thinking, we talk about liberty of consciousness, right? right? Uh, or liberty of conscience. Uh, this is the stuff that, that Adventists have dealt with for many years. So we hear the government trying to do all these things, we already have a rocky relationship with that. But then add another mm -hmm. thing. Now we got the issues of politics because the Trump era was incredibly divisive. We had already been building that up with Obama, right? Yeah. And so we're divided politically as well. And then you add in the race issues, right? Mm -hmm. all, the, all the protests that are going on. Now we add in all those things, put that into the church, and now people are fighting over faith and, 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 uh, and fear and all these things. You mm -hmm. bring in politics, you bring in race, you bring in an election. What do you have? This is absolutely insane. And this is yep. where I think that the church, and by, by the church I'm talking about in general, as church members, what we did was we said, oh, yeah, yeah, those things are more important than what we believe. Like the moment that I started hearing, and I, and I may ruffle some uh, some feathers, I think is the expression, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I Hopefully we can do this on this podcast. If you want to cut it out, cut it out, whatever. Okay? <laughs> but here it goes. The moment that we started hearing Seventh-day Adventists in particular talk about yeah. the vaccine as the mark of the beast, I said, this is this is crazy. Because, because we have a very solid biblical interpretation of what the mark of the beast is. Mm. Why are we changing that now? You mm -hmm. see, we start abandoning what the mark of the beast is, our interpretation of it, what we understand biblically, because we're being influenced by politics and culture. Yes. And that is absolutely forbidden. Yeah. That is the one thing that we know will bring about the end of the world, right? Yes. The moment that you combine the ideas of church and the ideas of state. So uh, it was, uh, you could, I look, even to the day, Gio, even to the day, when we're having our board meetings, mm -hmm. I can hear the politics behind it. I can yeah. hear the culture of the world behind it. Bro, Not I, the Bible speaking. Can, can I say something, bro? I'm, uh, I'm almost, now I'm almost even scared to do Sabbath school. You know, you, people are doing, you know, Sabbath school, we have our quarterly. It's, sure, you know, sure. for those of you who don't know, it's, it's a quarterly. It's a lesson that we study every day. And then we come together when we come in a church sure, assembly sure. and, and we, together, we yeah. discuss it, right? We discuss yeah. the highlights of the, of the lesson throughout the week. And it kind of keeps us in touch as a, as brethren, as you know, that we're all kind of just studying a book or a topic. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm almost scared, bro, to have those discussions in, in, in Sabbath school now, yeah. you know, it, you can't even, you know, the, the book, even this last one, I don't know what, if it happened in your church, but it happened throughout my district when I saw this and I'm almost like, what is going on? Is and we just started this new quarterly. It was talking yeah, about yeah, the reckless yeah. uh uh and and the reckless children of Israel, right? When they yeah, were out yeah, and it was yeah. and and the comments that were coming out of people yeah. about 
and they were trying to apply it till today, you know, with the, with everything that's going on. And I was looking at sure. that and I'm just like, that's not what the sure. lesson is talking about at all. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> I don't Good know if know. you saw it with your, and so what we're finding is that the, you have our, you're having people that are Republican first and Christian second, or that are Democrat yes. first yes. Yes. and Christian second. And, and yes. you know, that, that, that's going to be tough for ministry moving forward if this is the type of culture that's, you know, right. churches. Right. Now, now, now here's, and again, I feel like I'm becoming very radical when it comes to this specific point. Mm -hmm. And, and, but I have to explain myself. I believe that you cannot belong to either party, either mm -hmm. political party. I believe you can't, I believe you have to be in the middle of this, of this debate. Why? Because neither the democratic party nor the Republican party represents me as a Christian perfectly. Right. Now, someone's going to argue and say, oh, well, you got to find the better of two evils. Nonsense. I don't have to find the better of two evils. I have to find what is good. Bible never calls me to choose what is the lesser of two evils. That's a phrase that we have come about philosophically and politically. That's mm -hmm. not our perspective. Our perspective is to tell people of Jesus who we is perfectly good. We stand on scripture. That's where we that stand. Is, that is our position. Now, yeah. now, if there is something that the Democrats are promoting that belongs appropriately right next to scripture, I'm all good for it. If there's something that Republicans do as well, I'm all good for it. But the moment, the moment that I say I am a Democrat, you know, I had a, I had a, one of our church members, you know, I won't say his name, but he, <laughs> he came up to me. I'm like, how are you doing the pandemic? All this, this was like around August, September of last year. No. And he's like, well, you know, uh, you know, we're doing all right. We're, thankfully we're all healthy. He's like, but you know, looking forward to these uh, elections, we need to get Trump out of there. He said, and I'm like, oh, you need to get Trump out of there. He's like, absolutely. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat above all things. I said, well, oh. wow. I, you know, and, and I and I joked around. I said, even above, even above a, a a Christian. And he's like, even above it. I'm a Democrat first and foremost. And he starts laughing. And I looked at him very seriously and I said, careful, brother, careful. Wow. Those words don't are not wow. coming out of a vacuum, right? But this is the idea. We have we have allowed the world to influence our perspective yes. when it should be that mm -hmm. our perspective from a christ-centered view influences what is going on around us yeah. and so so you know look um black lives matter people protesting for social justice i'm all for it brother but you know what i'm not for i'm not for when we try to discuss social justice without discussing god yeah so our perspective should be we're going to fight for social justice with god in mm -hmm. the forefront not without it and that's, 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 you know, it's, it's difficult to balance all these things, but the church needs to wake up and say, we are not political agents. We are spiritual agents. We are about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the United States right. of America. I don't know. I mean, that's and, too radical, but whatever. No, I, and I, I believe the, the Advent message plays to just that card. I mean, we, we, we are waiting for the second Advent of God. I don't know if you've ever read, uh, there's a letter Ellen G. White writes during the Civil War in a time where the country was absolutely divided and she's seeing this crept into the church. Yes. She's watching yes. this divide taking yes. place in the church. And she says, look, my only concern is with all of this that's going on is, are we ready for the day of the Lord yeah. and yeah. his appearing? That's all she says. Yeah. And, and, and she, that's an invite for all of us. And I looked at that and I'm like, man, this is, this is speaking right into the context now, you know, that, that right. when we are watching this divide taking place, amongst ourselves, our brethren, our communities, our country, 
is is man are we ready for the day of the lord you know it's it's i i think we've derailed a little bit not much i'm not going to say completely i'm not going to say the church is babylon or we've just gone so far off but i i feel like we kind of just you know taking our focus on that and our message hasn't changed bro our, our message yeah. is still the same that you know there there is hope in christ right. and that he is coming soon right 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 yeah no look it's true i if we have to stay on track on message right we have to. Mm-hmm. um and i get it we live in this world but i mean jesus is very clear john chapter 17 you are not of this world mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to ask you that they take you out of this world but you're still not of this world yeah and so and, and what that means is basically we got to live our lives representing the kingdom as best as possible Mm-hmm. Um, one of my professors uh, recently was talking about uh, living life proleptically, right? And the idea is that you are basically living your future hope today. So your life today reflects what you what's, expect. What's that word again? Yeah, proleptically. Uh, proleptic. So, yeah, it's, okay. it's, again, it's a theological term, but, but the yeah, term yeah. is basically telling you, look, uh, you are essential. You, you know this is coming, right? Mm-hmm. You know the kingdom of God is coming but you are living your life reflecting that which is coming, but you're living it now. So mm-hmm. we say, oh, look, the kingdom of God is going to be about love, about right. I was just preaching about this recently, actually. Love, uh, it, uh, Paul says this in uh, Romans chapter 12, that the kingdom of God consists not of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, of peace, and of joy. Okay, do we believe that or not? Mm-hmm. And we would say, yes, we believe this. Okay, fine. So, are you waiting to live righteousness, peace, and joy until Jesus comes? Or do you live righteousness, peace, and joy today, here mm-hmm. in the now? Mm-hmm. Well, if you truly believe the kingdom of God is coming, then you got to live it proleptically. In other words, you're living it now in waiting for what's coming. Right. Reflecting your hope. And I, and I think that has to happen today. We are not doing that, though. We are living life today for today, not life today for tomorrow. Right, not life today for the coming kingdom, um, and so look. I mean, I, I, I don't know. We we've spoken about this, and you know, it, it uh, being a pastor first of all requires you to uh, be very um, patient. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just gonna leave it that way, right? Just right. patient. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, recently a comment just came up, and uh, you know that that basically some of the decisions that we as pastors had made at our church were dividing the church. You know what gets to me about that? It isn't the fact that someone thinks that something is dividing the church. It's the fact that they don't even come up to you and tell you, hey, I think that what you're doing is dividing the church. Which, by the way, it's not. It's just right. disgruntled people, right, that are just like, yeah, I don't like this. I don't like this. Yeah. But, but man, we're not practicing the values of the kingdom today. Mm-hmm. We're not. And I'm going I'm to take the words of my wife. I'm going to quote her right now where she says, look, the pandemic was a wake-up call. And it asks the question, are we ready? And she says to me, the problem is the answer is no, we're mm-hmm. not ready. And that's it. That's the problem. We need to wake up. We need to wake up as a church. We need to wake up as pastors. We need to wake up in ministry. We need to wake up, you know, as, as members of the kingdom of God. We need to yes. wake up right now. Yes, sir. And now I'm going to shift some gears here a little bit. Sure. And in the last 15 minutes here, um, talk to me about maybe some of your concerns theologically speaking as far as what you have seen and obviously this is just your opinion 
you know, we'll just I have to put that disclaimer out there. I'm not we're not claiming here we have the solutions yeah, or yeah, that, yeah. you know, we have it all right. But what are some of your concerns right now that you're watching as far as theologically speaking, the direction of 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 some of some people in ministry and what they're doing now? Yeah. Uh, so, look, that's a that's a very, very um, deep question, because as as pastors, I think we all have concerns. But I, I will say that, um, first of all, I feel that uh, theologically, uh, we're slowly dividing ourselves up as a, as a, and I'm speaking of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm not speaking of the Christian Church, although this could probably apply to the Christian Church. Um, I, I think that uh, we are starting to see uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church, or maybe not starting, but I think it's just existed now for years. Mm-hmm. where we are united by the name, but not necessarily by what we believe. Mm. Uh, and I'm not even talking about 28 fundamental doctrines, because uh, 28 fundamental beliefs, 28 fundamental doctrines, uh, we understand that if the Spirit leads the world church, even that can change. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about just kind of the way that we are approaching what the mission of Jesus is. And... Uh, I think that anyone who who sees things from like an outsider's perspective, if anyone who really tries to take a good look at what's going on panoramically in the Adventist Church, their conclusion is, "Wow, we're pretty divided." You know, because <laughs> or or you're nuts. Or, or you're, you're crazy. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's true. But look, um, it it, it kind of goes like this, and I'll give you a very simple example. Um, I had a young lady. Uh, from church I, I don't know the young lady but the parent comes up to me and says please pray for my daughter and i said okay yeah for sure uh what's going on with your daughter she's no longer coming to church that's unfortunate we hear that so much right yeah okay and i said oh i'm sorry what she left the church no no no. she said she's going to another church she's going to an american church this is what she said okay she's going to an american church. i'm like oh which one she told me the name and i said wait so she hasn't left the church you mean she left this church? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, but it's practically the same thing. I'm like, whoa, okay. Now think about what she's trying to say. Wow. Because this other church doesn't worship the exact same way that we do or doesn't do things the exact same way that we do, my daughter is lost. That, that's what, that, that was her mentality. Wow. And, and at some point, first of all, I'm not a believer that there is only one way to worship God inside of a church. Okay, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. believe that. But I also believe that there are limits to what we can do, right? There are mm-hmm. things that, that are definitely, you draw the line. You say, no, that, that's, right. that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. There's certain parameters. Right. The problem within the church now, though, is that we have slowly been separating ourselves, that there is no middle ground anymore. Either you are this or you are this. Mm-hmm. And we have very conservative backgrounds, you and me. Okay? We joke around. Bro, well, when, and, and every time you say that, it comes to my mind, one of the things that, uh, my mentor was saying, and hearing you say this is, is, and this is very prevalent, especially in our Hispanic churches, Yes, is that they are very, they live in a very liberal state or, or, or environment, mm-hmm. yet in their churches, they're very conservative. Very. That very. to me is wild. I, I have never, somebody brought that up to me, kind of made an emphasis on it. It was my mentor, actually. And he was, you know, he's out there in, in Miami. And he's saying, look, it's the same thing. Miami is a very, you know, South Florida is a very liberal part of the state, extremely liberal. 
Sure. But when you go to the church, they're really conservative. Right. And so in their lifestyle, you know, they're not, he's not saying that they're, they're living like despots, you know, they're living their life like second, yeah. but, but they're very fairly liberal. You know, they have cell phones, right. they have this, right. they, right. they, they kind of live a lifestyle of liberal, you know, they use the technology quote unquote, right. You know, right. they, right. they, they, they go about and, and the way they eat and things like that. It's very, you know, very, but when they come to church, it's very rigid. And yeah, you can't yeah. do this and you can't bring, you know, this and you can't bring this style because it's off. That to me has been wild as far as watching that in the church, yes. Yes. you know, that specifically in the state, you know, the three states that we just mentioned, you have in New York, California, right. Miami, that are very liberal in a sense. Right. And yet the churches hold this rigid uh, yeah. um, now, type now, right. of, of, right. of worship. Right. Now, on the other hand, there's also the group of churches that are not that right and exactly that, and then in my opinion are are allowing too much of how the world does things to influence mm -hmm. the way they worship my, my issue is that there is no coming together anymore right there isn't any coming together where we say hey let's find the middle ground here yeah now we're just like either here or here so mm -hmm. much so that you know and, and i hate these labels because these labels shouldn't even exist but we, right. we use them on a day-to-day -day basis and we say, oh, so much that a progressive church or a or a liberally minded church will mm -hmm. go in and look at conservatives and say, wow, you guys are so Victorian, right? You guys just are, are lost. You're not ignorant. You're you're ignorant. You you just don't. You just haven't figured out the gospel yet. Mm. And then you get the conservative churches or or the more uh, um, traditional churches, if I could put it that way, right. looking at the liberal slash progressive side, and they're like, wow, look at that, completely lost totally in the world. I, and, and this is within the same church. And so you say, by the way, this, you could apply to the Baptist churches. You could apply this to the Lutheran denomination, to the Presbyterians, to Methodists. Like this is the stuff they're all dealing. We're all dealing with this. The problem with the Adventist church is that we're not so much, or we shouldn't be so much united, my opinion here, right? By, mm -hmm. by your style of worship, we should be united theologically. Mm -hmm. That is, we have a very unique theological message that if we were to put that in the forefront, then everything else should fall into perspective. Yes. That's not what we do, though. And look, again, you and I come back from, we, we come from these very uh, conservative backgrounds. Um, and some of the stuff that our conservative churches sometimes say, you're like, wow, no, this is, no, no, don't, don't, yeah. don't go there. This is wrong. <laughs> like, this is, you, you got it all wrong. Like, the moment, here, I'll give you an example. The moment that someone says that if you do not leave the major cities, right? And you don't go live out in the countryside. Yes. You will be lost. That is absolutely wrong, spiritually and theologically. That is not true. Okay? Ellen White talks about these things for sure. And when she talks about family, great. I live in a small city. You live in an even smaller place, right? And I, and I would not go in and live in LA with my kids. I wouldn't do it, all right? <laughs> Quality of life, everything is just, is just lower. We get that. Yeah. But don't make the spiritual things or, or the things that are not spiritual, don't make them spiritual, right? Don't make them issues of life. But then I would say, wait a minute. So on the one hand, you're all about like leaving the cities, but then why haven't you stopped eating meat? Because she talks about more about being vegetarian than, than, than uh, about leaving the cities. Yeah. What's going on here? Nah, you know what it is? <laughs> Pick and choose. And it's about what can fortify my position more and push back on the other's position. 
this is dangerous. And honestly, I'm, I'm afraid of this. Theologically, I, I, I mentioned this in many classes, you know, we're talking among other pastors. And I said, and is, is the church at some point going to split? And the answer always is, we hope not, but it's possible. Mm. We hope not. And it's all our making, honestly. It's all our making. It's not, this isn't because of Jesus. This isn't because of the Seventh-day Adventist message. This is because of what we do with it. I think that's very unfortunate. I don't know. I'm worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. We place preference over, over unity for all the talk of tolerance and, yeah. you know, I, I, I see it very little, you know, even, oh, even yeah. out there in society today, I, you know, I'm not going to give any examples, so I don't get any trouble, but you know, for all the talk of tolerance and acceptance, you know, when, when the other coin is presented, they don't practice what they're <laughs> what they're out there protesting and doing and and it's sad and you see it and it's yeah. and this is trickling down to our churches to the very fiber of our churches in many different ways and many different aspects that many people nowadays don't know how to react and either you're on this side or on that side and you know it, it's funny bro because you know and speaking about all this theological conservative liberal it was funny to me because when i came from california when I went, you know, I was born and raised in California. Mm -hmm. We were, we were to an extent very, like we, we've mentioned, very conservative. And I went to Puerto Rico and, yeah, and yeah. it was funny. I was, I was a liberal, you know, I was, I was a liberal. I came from the States, so I was very liberal and don't even mention California because California is the place where all the apostasies are, are apparently, yeah. uh, um, the, all the, they're, they're born. And then, you know, I go back or, or my attempt was to go back into California and do ministry. And I am this big fanatic and conservative yeah. among some of the peers and colleagues. Yeah. But what you point to is true, right? And this is that, where are you in the world? And you're going to be labeled something. Yeah. And, and it just depends on the perspective. I would assume that for many of the people that we grew up with at this point, me right now, I have, I, I'm, I'm a liberal, okay? <laughs> I, I, like the stuff that, that, not so much that I'm saying, but just like, look, look at his church. Oh yeah, he's, he's gotta be a liberal. Right. You go to my church and, and my church, I think generally would say right now, would say, no, we're, we're, oh, we're conservative, right? right. Uh, in comparison to other churches in, in my conference. Um, and, and, then, and then I go to class and somebody says, oh man, you're ultra conservative or something like that. And you know mm. what? I said, I'm tired of the labels. Don't care about them anymore, right? What I, what I do care about is this. First of all, are we putting Jesus first? Yeah. Are, are, are we truly doing that? All right, if we're putting Jesus first, then we allow Jesus to change our lives. You know, and let's face it. Jesus was a very, very tolerant person. He was mm -hmm. very tolerant. And in the true meaning of tolerance, because as you said, some people talk about tolerance and they never practice it, right? They'll protest about it, but they don't really live it. Jesus did, and he showed it with actions. How dare he sit with prostitutes and tax collectors, the worst of the worst. Now, that didn't mean Jesus approved of what they were doing, mm -hmm. but it did mean that Jesus said, look, I'm here to show you a better way. And the only way we can show a better way is if we stop saying my way, my way, my way, or your way, your way, right? We gotta yeah. say, no, it's, it's the way of Jesus. Um, I, I, I think we have to unite under that banner. Any other way, yeah. it's just going to cause issues, division. Uh, and if the story of Jesus taught us anything, is that both liberals and conservatives were not getting it. <laughs> no, no. Right? 
it, it was they were ju they were just not getting it and you yeah. know i i i'm with you on this whole labeling of liberal and conservatives i just want to be an adventist i just want to be a christian yes. Yes. plain and okay. simple i i don't right. you know i i'm you will never hear me from a sermon say if you don't do it this particular way yeah. then you're lost or if you don't you know go out of the cities i'm in the middle of nowhere bro just to give you yeah, an idea yeah, yeah. i'm literally in the middle of nowhere you're, you're saved you're saved in other words right you're i'm saved for the conservative the one, you're part of the one you're good bro correct <laughs> but you know at the end of the day you know and but even out here in the middle of nowhere the very same struggles are as yes, yes. you know back in california the mega churches and the big churches and things of that sort you know we're still we're still in this all of this we're all yeah. of all of us, in some degree or another, are in this, are in this together. Sure, there, but there, there are two things you would have to say to this, right? Number one, can we accept that sin is not about location, but it is about the heart? Amen. Right? That's right. And, and so the moment, the moment we realize that, that is why I heard this recently. Somebody said, uh, "Look at what happened with Lot and his family. They went to the city, and therefore they were lost." Right. Yes, but then I would say, "Look at what happened with the sons of Jacob. They were not in the cities." And they were and out they were there lost. selling their brother, killing a bunch of people, uh, sleeping with with uh, with one of the father's concubines. I mean, like, what in the world's going on here? Oh, because <laughs> sin is not about location; it's about the heart. That's yep. the first thing. The second thing is this: I I would say that at some point we have to just start being more biblical. No. And and by biblical, I mean remove your bias out of the way as best as you can. Let the spirit do the work. Let the principles of Scripture do something in you. You don't. If you don't do that, then obviously every single time we're inclined to defend something, we're going to defend it, and we're going to use Scripture to do so. And right. and, and uh, you know, we were we were talking about a podcast yesterday, which shall not be mentioned, uh, as we were we were uh, just conversing about this podcast. You know, but um, I, I I did agree with something this podcast said, and it says sometimes we weaponize the Word of God. We do. Mm -hmm. Yep. We do, and we have yeah. to stop doing that. And by the way, if you truly want to weaponize it, weaponize it against yourself. I think that's a good place to start. There you right? go. Take that yep. log out of your eye. Why not? Right. Right. Lastly, bro, we're we're let's close this up, man, because you know, yeah, yeah I don't, I don't want to. We can keep going, bro. But 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 anyway, um, what would you say to anybody out there that's listening? I don't know who's listening. How many? Maybe one or two, three people will listen. You know, this is not about one for sure. I'll listen. I'll listen. One for sure. But sure, yeah. what, what do you want to say to that person that have just probably heard us complain <laughs> and have probably heard our, our you know, our, our concerns and have kind of have discussed our experiences and what we've gone through? And what would you say to that either young person or not young person that's considering going into ministry or to that young person that's considering following Jesus and saying, look, these everything that you guys have just mentioned are yeah. the reasons why I do not want to go to church yeah, yeah, for sure. or why I don't want to be involved in ministry. What, what, do, what do you say? What would you say to that person right now and say, yeah, Mitch, look, I heard you. I agree with you. Or maybe I don't agree with you, but maybe for those same reasons, that's why I don't want to go to church. That's why yeah. I don't want to follow G or, or there's a rejection, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, after all that was said, right. Okay. So here we go. Now, look, can I read a verse? Is it okay if I read something? Go for it. Go for it. This is just because I have to. I, this is what we've been studying at church, and and today I actually have to speak about this. Um, uh, Jesus says the following. This is Matthew six. This is Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, uh, he says, uh, "Therefore, do not worry, 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? We all know that text. Um, and, you know, in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We know that text. But it's this last verse that uh, catches my attention. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know what Jesus says in that very last verse? He says, look, life will be full of troubles. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're expecting a perfect life with nothing going wrong, you got it wrong. That's not the truth. Tomorrow will have its troubles. Let tomorrow's troubles come. Deal with the ones that you're dealing with right now, right? Yep. In other words, he's not saying um, don't, uh, don't, don't think that as soon as you follow me, everything will be pink and roses and beautiful and glitter and all these things. You're, oh, this is beautiful. It will be beautiful, but it will come with its troubles as well, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think of another verse. What is it? Um, uh, Matthew 16. I think it's 1633. It's the very last verse in Matthew chapter 16 where you know, Jesus says, in this world, you will have affliction. In this world, you will have tribulation, right? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then he says, but, but trust me, relax. I got this. I have overcome the world. Yeah. Right. And so I think anytime we talk about these things, we're just trying to have honest conversation here. Right. And we just say, look, this is the reality of what we deal with at church. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough sometimes. And you know what? Anytime you're going to deal with people, this is what happens. But church isn't about entering into a perfect state. Church is about trying to get oriented towards him who is perfect. Right. And, 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 I, and I think that's so important. Um, I, I'm taking the James of um, uh, the word of uh, James, I think it's James Smith, uh, writes this book. And he talks about that the key, right, to life is to make sure that we are oriented. Our hearts are oriented towards God. The mm -hmm. battle is where are we directed to? And this is why church is so important. Because as much as church is imperfect and we struggle and we fight and we deal with these things, iron sharpens iron. It is right. here where we say, all right, fine, look, I mean, this is tough. And yeah, we argue and we do all these. But yeah, mm -hmm. but we want to be oriented towards God. And God uses the church to prepare us for heaven. It has right. to be that way because heaven isn't a solitary experience. It isn't, heaven isn't you and Jesus. Heaven will be all of us and Jesus. And Jesus, yep. And Jesus, right. And so you can imagine, what are we going to do in heaven? Are we really going to be like, hey, it's my turn to go to see Jesus? My turn? No. Where do you learn how to cope with all those things. I like to think of it this way, Gio. I think that church is the greatest experiment God has on earth. And, and what he's doing is he's saying, look, I'm going to show all of the universe how I can bring all these people from different places, backgrounds, cultures, languages, put them together under one banner, under the banner mm -hmm. of Jesus, and watch. Oh, they're going to struggle. Oh, they're going to fight. Or they're going to do the, all these things. But in the end, they're going to be one. And what's going to unite them is my love. Watch. Watch what's going to happen. Right. And this is, and this is I, to me, this is beautiful. I, when I go to church, and this is what I encourage any young person, it's true. There are going to be problems. When you go to church, look, that's going to be your eternal family forever. You better start getting along with them right now. Right? <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't like somebody at church right now, you better, you better figure it out. And that's, that's the call. Right. Yeah. You have to figure these things out in the name of Jesus. Um, I would also say that, uh, you know, oh, Spirit of Prophecy says this in actually the Apostles, uh, page one. Uh, she says that the church is the chosen method, right? That, yes. that God has chosen for the salvation of men. And, and so I believe that it is via the church that God will work. 
It is via the church that Jesus will work, that the Holy Spirit will work to bring us not only to fulfill the mission, but to prepare us for heavenly lives. So I think it's important. But let me let me just add one last thing. You add, you you know the whole thing about ministry as well, right? Uh, let's say mm-hmm. a young person is trying to get into ministry. What would I say? Well, if you're called, do it. Because you will yeah. be miserable. This is my experience. You will be miserable mm-hmm. doing something other than what you're called for. The greatest amounts of happiness, the greatest amounts of, uh, uh, the, the highest quality of life is lived only when we fulfill the purposes that God has for our lives.